Welcome to the Cantina Chatter Podcast. Turn up your nostalgia. everyone and welcome back. I'm Victoria, your host here on the Cantina Chatter podcast, your resource for Star Wars, new and retro toys, pop culture, and randomness from the 80s and 90s. Hey everybody. I hope you all are having a fantastic holiday season as we head into a brand new year in a brand new decade in just a few short days. We're going to be catching up on The Mandalorian. It's been a few weeks since we did our last Mandalorian episode where we covered the first two episodes of the season. In this episode, we'll be catching up once again with television correspondent for Star Wars, Dave, to talk episodes three, four, and five. As you may recall, if you listened to last week's episode, we did a review, me and Dave, of Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, talking about our first impressions immediately after both seeing the film for the first time. And as always, it's great talking with Dave. He has a great way with words. He's very articulate and uh, he conveys his thoughts uh, with such clarity. And I love having him on the show. So uh, this is going to be fun. We actually recorded this before uh, the last episode, uh, The Rise of Skywalker episode. So... We're getting caught up uh, in the next one. He'll be coming back and we'll be finishing up our Mandalorian series. We're talking about episodes six, seven, and eight. So uh, if you love Mandalorian like we do, you'll be hearing more about it uh, next week as well as we get into the uh, subsequent episode. But let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and bring on Dave and we'll get right into The Mandalorian. Last time we had him on the show, we discussed episodes one and two of The Mandalorian season one. Uh, We are now through episode five, and uh, we wanted to touch back and kind of recap and discuss episodes three, four, and five. So uh, once again, uh, Dave, welcome back to the show. Hi, Victoria. Thanks for having me back. It's been awesome watching this show. Um, You told me you were doing the same thing today. I was rewatching, you know, these most recent episodes and just completely reminded why this show is so freaking epic. Yeah. Um, I've been watching them over and over again, and it's something I haven't done with other streaming service shows. And I'm having a lot of fun going back and, you know, getting down to sit down and talk about them. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, it's nice to reflect on them a little bit because... Um, you know, each episode so far has been a pretty like self-contained, almost like mm-hmm. a little movie, you know, it's like yeah. a complete story. There hasn't, you know, even though it's a continuous thing, there hasn't really been like a cliffhanger or anything that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's been like pretty self-contained in each episode. So going back and watching it, you kind of pick up on more of those details and, you know, just see how it all fits together uh, within each episode. Yeah, I've definitely seen some things that they, they laid uh, groundwork for in certain episodes. You see payoffs maybe two episodes later. 
and going back and watching it, you're like, ah, oh, I missed that the first time, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. Um, so episode three, title of this episode is... The Sin. It was directed by Deborah Chow, which I believe is uh, the uh, first uh, directing debut for a, a female director in Star Wars. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so episode three, The Sin. In this episode, uh, we're kind of following up on what happened in the previous episode. So we know that Mandalorian already mm-hmm. has the child or the asset in tow. He's kind of gone on this little uh, adventure of trying to get him safely back to uh, collect his bounty. Mm-hmm. And um, he takes him back to, uh, what is this, like a little secret base? or what? Yeah, would back this? to planet uh, Navarro, it's called. And I guess it's where the um, guild, the Bounty Hunters Guild, is operating out of now um, from Grief Karga. Yeah, so he brings him back. Uh, I think as an audience member, you're kind of thinking, he's, there's no way he's going to drop the child yeah, off. But mm-hmm. he actually does it. Yeah. I, I didn't know what the, where we left off in episode two. I'm thinking, what, what's he going to do? And, of course, he takes him right back, uh, drops him off with the stormtroopers back to the client and Dr. Pershing and uh, gets his uh, reward, his payment in the Imperial Beskar. And it's funny to see it's in the uh, ice cream container that we see in Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a great touch. I mean, you know, one of those things that only, like, you know, really hardcore Star Wars fans are going to know about, but... Uh, just the fact that it was in there, we actually got to see, you know, how it works <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Yeah, it gives that neat little thing uh, use, you know, in the Star Wars world. I mean, we all know it's an ice cream maker, but now we know what it's for in universe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so he collects his money, um, but you can tell right away he's got reservations. He's kind mm-hmm. of asking, you oh, so what's going to happen with the child? Yeah. And, you know, he's basically told, like, you know, why are you even asking? That's kind of out of character. And mm-hmm. Um, so he goes about his day. Uh, he goes back to the Mandalorian base and has a uh, new armor made for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he goes back. He takes the money. Uh, he uh, asks for new armor to be made for him. Um, there's a little bit of a scuffle with the other uh, Mandalorians, kind of calling them uh, sitting with traitors. You know, you're sitting with the Imperials that took our Baskar from us and the Great Purge. Uh-huh. And uh, the kind of things calm down. And, um, of course, we go into the uh, making the armor part. We get more of a flashback of him looking back at uh, what appears to be his parents and him uh, in the Clone Wars where he was left. Yeah, yeah. So it's really cool seeing these flashbacks. Yeah. And I think... As these episodes progress, and maybe when he continues to upgrade his armor, we're going to see, um, you know, more flashbacks that kind of tell us the full story of his backstory. And, um, yeah, so we, we got a little bit more. I think initially all we saw uh, in that first episode, was it, um, was where he, you know, was kind of running with his parents, presumably. Mm-hmm. Uh, the droids were in, were chasing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time we actually see that, you know, sadly the droids killed his parents, it seems like. Yeah. And uh, they they aim their weapons at him, so we don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, something we have yet to see, but it's a it's a nice setup, um, nice little look back into what's inside the Mandalorian's head. Yeah, exactly. Um, so as this episode progresses, uh, from there uh, he goes back. You know, he's obviously ha- has a change of heart. He's going to take off from the planet, but then he puts his ship down, goes mm-hmm. back for the child. Uh, he he kind of breaks through. You know, that little base or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, where the Imperials are at. And uh, pretty epic uh, gunfight ensues. 
Yeah, I love this part. This, uh, you know, if this in the series up to this point, this was like what really was my favorite part so far. And I really got some vibes from like I don't know if you ever played Metal Gear Solid back in the '90s on PlayStation. No, it was kind of like that. <laughs> it was like you know the creeping around in the dark, almost like in the game where you use the night vision and you sneak up and snap the guy's necks from behind. That's kind of what the Mandalorian was doing. A little throwback. I got like '90s video game vibes from it. It was really cool. Yeah, it was almost a little bit Batman-esque as well. Yeah, that too, definitely. You know, lurking in the shadows and, and you don't know where he is. Definitely Batman. That's cool. Yeah, and we get to see a little bit more of his weaponry. I mean, we've we've seen things already like the flamethrower, but now we get mm-hmm. to see, you know, he's also got this rope that launches out of his gauntlet, kind of like what Boba Fett had in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, and we see how he uses it in a couple instances. He uses it during this scene to grab one of the troopers, mm-hmm. which I don't know why he did that instead of just shoot him. I mean, I think it just looked so cool. I think that's why I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, he uses it again. We'll talk about that. But um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, this was this was great. Like, I really liked, you know, I think this was really well choreographed. And, um, you know, when he goes back and finds, you know, baby Yoda, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just the way that he, um, you know, gets him back. And, you know, it's, it's another Batman type moment because he's like there one second. And then the scientist mm-hmm. is like, oh, he's gone. Yeah. You know, I didn't even think of that. That is so cool. I know you love Batman so much. I like Batman a lot, and I, I didn't get that, but that's that's cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, he tries to take off. Uh, unfortunately for, for Mandalorian, um, you know, now there's a bounty on his head because of all he's doing. Yeah, he walks out of there um, after he takes care of all the Imperial business, and you start to see all the fobs lighting up. And I, I guess he knew this, that every other bounty hunter on the whole planet has a fob on the baby now. And he's become the hunted. The hunter comes the hunted now. Yeah, exactly. So we're seeing the tables turn. And, um, you know, this is, this is something that's kind of different for him. So, um, yeah, the hunter becomes the hunted. And it goes back to something they say earlier in in the scene um uh, isn't it I, I think in this in this episode where they talk about when he's with the other mandalorians they mm-hmm. talk about you know what this life you know this path you know yeah, the hunter and the prey right yeah exactly um so yeah and then uh this is another epic scene because you see all these bounty hunters come out i think there's a zabrak in there mm-hmm. and yeah, i did um, notice that yeah yeah and all these aliens cool. and yeah this this is a great great scene as well because you know Obviously, they're all chasing him. And, you know, we kind of got to see him react pretty quickly. He's trying to kind of just, you know, sneak by, which is pretty funny, I think, mm-hmm. because um, he's he, he, he assumes at this point that this is what's going to happen. But he's just like he's not really like going around corners or hiding. He's just kind of like walking through the main thoroughfare of this you know town. Yeah. And uh, that's when he's kind of, you know, ambushed on all sides by all these bounty hunters. Yeah, it's, you know, he's trying to get out, shoot his way out like an Old West um, shootout here. And a couple of times you think they've got him. He escapes in the cart again. Then the cart crashes and they have him again. And it kind of looks like he's done for. And he looks to uh, Baby Yoda. And again, with that great music, it kind of sounds like a variation of uh, Yoda's theme plays and right when that happens when you expect maybe uh baby yoda is going to help him out again we see all the mandalorians come flying up with their uh, jetpacks in the sky to help him yeah this was an epic moment because it's like something totally out of like clone wars or yes you know with all the mandalorians and it's the kind of thing that you know it's totally fan service because you know not only mm-hmm. for that reason like you know the clone wars tie-in but also because you know, just seeing all these Mandalorians, like, you know, flying on their jetpacks, it's never anything that we've really, I don't think many of us really ever imagined we would see something like this in live yeah. action. 
And, it looks um, so beautiful. Yeah, it does. It's awesome. Like every like moment of it, just seeing them, you know, with their unique weapons and their unique armor and you know, all these different things they're doing is, is really rad. Yeah. So um, then with the help of all the other Mandalorians, he eventually makes his way back to the Razor Quest, uh, Razor Crest, and uh, Grief Karga is actually on the ship waiting for him to... Uh, he uses the um, freezing chamber, I guess, to distract him, and he shoots him and blasts him off the ship. And we see that Grief Karga is saved by the Baskar that he had from payment in his uh, jacket. That's where the blaster shot goes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, so that's also when he uses that rope-like weapon again to mm-hmm. kind of, you know, um, make the steam or whatever that was. Was yeah. that maybe like the carbon freezing area? I think that's what it was. That's what I took it as. Is it was the carbon freezing, I guess, that he used to distract them. The gas, think. yeah. The carbon gas or whatever. Um, yeah, but that was pretty cool. I guess at this point, Mandalorian assumes that he's dead. And, um, but you know, they're still after him, obviously, as we learn in, in future episodes, but, um, yeah, yeah, this is great. So he takes off with a child and, you know, uh, it basically ends like if you went into this episode thinking, you know, there's no way the Mandalorian's going to do it, but then he does it, but you know, then he doesn't do it. He, he goes yeah, back yeah. and kind of makes up for it. So I guess the sin was the Mandalorian taking the child to uh, collect his bounty. I'm assuming. Yeah. I took it as maybe the sin was that he broke the code. Um, but it's kind of, it's really cool in the way he, he gets everything. He gets the payment, he gets his armor and he gets the child and he gets out, you know, yeah. it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Definitely open to interpretation. That's one of the cool things yeah. about it is, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. So going into episode four, the title of this one was Sanctuary. Yeah. This is uh, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, another uh, female director in the Star Wars universe is always great to have. And I know uh, you and me are both big Jurassic Park fans, and it's nice to see some Jurassic and Star Wars intermingling. Absolutely. Um, now, this episode is a little bit different in its overall feel. Um, mm-hmm. Just the way it was constructed and designed, it just has a little bit of a different vibe to it. But that's that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I like everything in, in the different episodes, and I think each of them is a little bit unique. So, you know, just seeing different aspects of the Mandalorian's personality and, you know, you know, these adventures, I think is really, really neat to see. So uh, they want to make some of them a little bit different. Then, yeah, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. So this episode begins with Mandalorian uh, landing on this uh, planet. So there's a name for the planet or is it the name for the settlement that's there, the town? Um, Sorgan. Sorgan is the name of the planet. Yeah, so the, they open up the, um, on the planet Sorgan, uh, where we see a peaceful uh, fishing village that becomes um, raided by Clatoonians. Um, and that's kind of what we see, uh, the village being pillaged. And then uh, the next scene we see um, the Razor Quest actually um, flying over the uh, village and um, landing on the other side of the planet. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was a pretty cool moment because... Uh, you know, you're you're seeing like the village, and you know, just seeing him fly overhead. Uh, but this the scene with the village kind of ties into what happened at the very beginning, right? When we see the villagers mm-hmm. um, kind of getting pillaged um, by yeah. the Clatoonians. Yeah, um, they're out there fishing, nice and peacefully. And the next thing you know, uh, village is being raided, blaster fire everywhere, and uh, we see a nice peaceful scene turn into utter chaos. Yeah, yeah, those Clatoonians, like we ne- we saw, we glimpsed them in Return of the Jedi, right? There's some of them on the skiff and in mm-hmm. Jabba's palace, yeah. but um, they're actually kind of creepy looking. 
Yeah, definitely. They're <laughs> capable of some pretty bad stuff. So it's interesting to see kind of like in that very first episode when, you know, you see some of those classic aliens, like it's like, oh, that guy's actually a little scarier than I thought he was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's what happens. They raid the village. Um, you know, we have the Mandalorian. He's coming. He lands somewhere on the outskirts of the settlement. I, I suppose he just doesn't want to be detected. He kind of wants yep. to be a little hidden. Flying under the radar, he just kind of uh, moseys into the the town there, tries to leave Baby Yoda on the ship, and of course, Baby Yoda never listens and just follows him <laughs> into a cafe. Yeah, so um, this was a cool moment because I really liked all the interacting that was going on when they went into this little you know cafe restaurant. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just the bartender or the, or the wait waitress coming over and talking to him, and um, you know, just just the way it was like shot and handled, and you know, all the interaction I thought was really nicely done. Yeah, uh, it was really awesome to see a, a loath cat actually in, in yeah. live action, you know, hissing at yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, I, yeah. My husband didn't know what that was because he's not you know hardcore Star Wars mm-hmm. by any means, but you know, because we watch it together and. Um, I saw that it's like, you know, you just see little things like that. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. I know. Yeah. Again, with the seeing stuff from the animated world now in live action, it's really cool. That's super cool. Um, so yeah, this is where we get our first introduction to Cara Dune. Yes. Yeah, is, uh, Gina Carano, um, playing Cara Dune and the, right in the cafe Mandalorian takes an interest in her sitting in the corner. He sees her eye and him, she, uh, eye and her back. And he kind of asks the waitress what's up with her. She really doesn't know. And by the time the Mandalorian uh, decides to check out what's going on, she has left the cafe and he follows her outside to look for her. Yeah. And then, um, you know, we get another glimpse at one of his uh, the weapons in his arsenal. So he he presses something on his gauntlet and it activates some sort of, um, you know, like vision in his in his visor. where We can kind of see yeah. where footprints are left. And uh, so he begins following them. And uh, he comes to a dead end, and that's kind of when she attacks him. Yep, and they have a big street brawl fighting. Uh, as you can see, Cara Dune can most definitely hold her own. She's actually looked like she's winning against the Mandalorian. And, you know, as they're rolling around, they come both pulling their blasters, pointed at each other's head, and we hear slurping of someone drinking something. <laughs> Camera looks over, and Baby Yoda is just casually drinking and watching them fight in the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such a great really moment. Really funny, and, yeah. Yeah, no, this was a great fight. It was also really well choreographed, and uh, it's interesting, too, because up to this point, we haven't really seen uh, Mandalorian come up against anyone that is, you know, essentially his equal in terms of, you know, hand-to-hand mm-hmm. combat, but... Uh, they're basically on the same level. Definitely. I kind of took that that uh, she was maybe even a little bit better at hand-to-hand than him. He was kind of trying to rely on his weapons. Yeah, his exactly. His flamethrower out. Yeah. Exactly. She punched him pretty hard in, in the helmet, and just he went head first into the ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, so that was really cool. Uh, after this, we, you know, they kind of go back to camp, and we kind of get – or back to the restaurant, and we kind of um, – you know, we kind of get a little bit of information on her background and, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of bond, I guess, a little bit over, you know, realizing that they're both kind of being hunted, but yeah, um, they're not after each other. So, you know, much to their relief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess um, from after their conversation, uh, they kind of part ways and Mandalorian decides that he has to leave the planet. It's basically not big enough for the two of them. And uh, in the next scene, we see some villagers actually at, in darkness are um, tracking him down and they have gathered some money together and they want to try and hi- hire the Mandalorian to protect their fishing village. Right. And he, yeah. 
Yeah. And um, he's not having it. He's like, you guys don't have mm-hmm. enough money. This isn't going to work out. Um, but ultimately, he agrees to do it. So he, uh, you know, he goes with them. He realizes they're going to have, you know, shelter. Um, mm-hmm. But the first thing he he does is, uh, yeah, you know, we see that, you know, Mandalorian definitely has a heart. So not only does he want the help, but he also, you know, remembers Cara Dune. So he goes back to her and asks for her help. Mm hmm. Yeah, he takes the money, uh, pays her, and hires her to come back to the village with him and the baby. And um, they get on the back of the cart and ride back to isolation, hopefully. Yeah, so we get a little bit more of an insight at this point into the village. So mm-hmm. um, we see the villagers. We had already seen, you know, how they work. But now we, all, we get to see how they live. We see the insides of um, the barn, I guess, where Mandalorian is staying. Um, and, uh, you know, their interactions with him, you know, they're, they're obviously, you know, a peaceful people. They don't have, uh, really any weapons and, um, you know, they're just kind of relying on, you know, their trade of, of, um, you know, harvesting these, what are they like krill or shrimp? Yeah. Yeah. They're krill. And then they, they make the spotcha. Is that what that's called? That beer or whatever they drink. Yeah. That, that's, that's a beverage they need to have in galaxy's edge. Yeah. That sounds interesting. <laughs> spotchka. Yeah, so what happens next? Um, well, I guess he talks um, with um, Julia Jones' character, Amira. Uh, she asks, inquires about his past um, being the Mandalorian, uh, talks to him about, um, has he ever removed his helmet? He explains he never removes it in front of people, not since he was a child. Uh, her daughter actually comes in and, and plays with uh, Baby Yoda, and we see she brings him some food later and he takes off his helmet and, and watches everyone playing outside uh, in the safety of his own uh, quarters there. Yeah, that was interesting, too, because, you know, obviously to this point, we haven't seen him remove the helmet. Um, but we realize, you know, in this scene that he never removes it, you know, around other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but he does remove it. It's only when nobody's around and we actually see him do it. But, you know, we don't mm-hmm. at this point anyway get to see what he actually looks like under the helmet. Yeah, I'm really interested to see, um, like, again, what has changed with the Mandalorians now, um, where we are here post Return of the Jedi. Because, I mean, watching Clone Wars, watching Rebels, they take off their helmets all the time. So what's <laughs> up with that now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It's, it's, it's really weird. I was wondering about that, too, as I was watching it and as I was rewatching it, because, you know, you think back to like Prev Isla and, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's walking around just holding the helmet and, <laughs> you know, with the dark saber yeah. in hand and, um, yeah, and, and in Rebels, like you said, Sabine, like, I think she has the helmet off more often than she has it on. And yeah. even, like, when we go back to her planet and see her family, like, you know, they're not usually wearing the helmets most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I wonder if that's going to be explained. I mean, obviously, Dave Filoni is, you know, has a huge hand on, you know, what's going on here. So, um, you know, hopefully that is explained because I, I, I do feel there's a little bit of a disconnect between, you know, those two um, dynamics between the animation mm-hmm. and between uh, Mandalorian. Yeah. Uh, I guess as we uh, move on then into the episode, uh, the next scene, we see uh, Cara Dune and the Mandalorian are out in the woods, kind of tracking, seeing where the raiders, the Clatoonians have gone, and they stumble across uh, ATST prints in the ground, and they're not happy when they see that. Yeah, and you know, this isn't something that had really dawned on me as I was watching it, but um, you know, afterwards, seeing people on Twitter talk about how, you know, Jurassic Park, like, you know, these moments were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It dawned on me at that point. Like, yeah, totally. And, you know, rewatching it, I definitely, you know, saw that. And yeah, just the way that they framed that shot of 
um, them investigating the track of the ATST, you know, just the camera kind of rises and, you know, very mm-hmm. Jurassic Park esque. And then, um, you know, just like kind of looking around and all the damage around, around the trees, you know, it's definitely something you would see in one of those yeah. films. I don't know if that's something that Bryce brought, you know, from being in the two Jurassic World movies, but yeah, I, I kind of picked that up right away. Um, yeah, there's some shots in it at the end that it definitely reminds me of uh, Jurassic Park or Lost World and stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so next, um, we see them go back to the uh, the village, and they're just basically having none of this ATST that they just found. They're kind of angry that the villagers didn't mention it to them beforehand. They thought this was just going to be like a little, you know, um, fire some blasters, and these little raiders will just back off. And they tell the villagers that they've got to leave, and they're not happy with that. They're not leaving their fishing village that they've been there for generations. So the Mandalorian suggests maybe we can train them, and we enter a training montage where they're training the villagers to fight back. Yeah, this is pretty cool because, um, you know, it just kind of shows us like a different thing than we've seen in live action. Um, you probably recall in Clone Wars, there was an episode where Obi-Wan and Anakin are training um, mm-hmm. uh, this village. And I forget what the name yeah. of the species was, but, um, uh, you know, these little like rodent like <laughs> creatures, mm-hmm. they teach them how to fight. And uh, it kind of reminded me a little bit of that, um, you know, just seeing that in Star Wars. Um, but yeah, it's kind of what they do. They show them like the basics of like hand to hand combat and, you know, fighting with blasters and, um, yeah, so this, this is different. They're actually trying to prepare them uh, to defend themselves, presumably after, you know, even after they're gone, you know, uh, if they get attacked again by, you know, somebody else. Yeah, Mandalorian has some some blasters, and it turns out that Omera can actually shoot uh, wherever she's come from. She knows how to handle herself in a, in a blaster pretty well. And they hatch a, a plan that they're going to dig a hole uh, near their fishing pond for the walker to be drawn back into and hopefully fall into. And uh, next we see um, the Mandalorian and Cara Dune go out under the cover of Nightfall to try and coax the uh, raiders and the walker back towards their village. Yeah, no, this is interesting, too. I really like seeing, you know, these fight scenes, like, in here. Because, um, uh, you know, they go to the, I guess, wherever these Clatoonians are based. They have a camp somewhere in the woods. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they kind of infiltrate it. And like you said, this is all, like, a ploy to kind of draw them out and get them to go back to the village so that they can, you know, uh, take on the ATST. Um, but it's really cool seeing like, you know, the, uh, again, like the combat and the weaponry and all that like brought in because, you know, I don't know. It, it's like any time in Mandalorian yeah. when we get to see like fighting, it's like it's all done so well. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. And the saga films that we've usually followed around Jedi and Sith and their like fighting style. And we're seeing a lot of hand to hand combat in the Mandalorian uh, blaster to blaster. And it, it's different and it's choreographed differently. It's really cool to see. It's totally cool to see. So. Uh, they succeed. The ATST is drawn out from the woods, and it's pretty scary, right? Like compared to what we saw yeah. in Return of the Jedi. This is really where I get the Jurassic Park vibes. Um, I was watching it on a new TV that I got, and it was really, really dark and hard to see. But all I could see was the red cockpit lights come up over the trees, and the way it's shot from the ground, it looks like a dinosaur standing up and, <laughs> and chasing them through the woods or something. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely, you, you feel like, you know, when you see, like, in Jurassic World, like, the T, or Jurassic Park, the T-Rex, like, running, chasing somebody, like, mm-hmm. from ground level, you know, you definitely get that feeling, you know, there's this big, like, you know, beast, essentially, that's on foot and chasing you, and, 
Um, yeah, that was really well handled. And I'm, you know, that's, that's totally got to be deliberate <laughs> the way they did that. Yeah, this part was so cool. And again, with the music, I'm, I'm digging the music more and more every episode. And there was some throwback in there. It reminded me of uh, the first Terminator film, real yeah. like techno sounding. And the way they're running, it reminds me of the end of the film when Sarah Connor is, is running away from uh, Terminator. Yeah, that, that's actually a really good point. So they lure the ATST back to camp, but, um, you know, I guess the, whoever's in the cockpit of it, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're kind of figuring things out. And it's mm-hmm. funny because they really give the ATST a lot of personality, you know, and it's kind of like looking around and mm-hmm. it's kind of scoping out the area to see what's going on. Um, but you know, us, the viewers, we know that there's drivers in there, you know, and, and I did think about that, like. If you're a casual viewer that hasn't seen Return of the Jedi in a long time, do you necessarily know yeah, that there's not? Yeah, that's true. So. I guess not. You might not. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, well, I guess later, you know, when they do throw the detonator in there, you hear screams. So mm-hmm. um, maybe that's supposed to cue you into, you know, there's people in there. But um, yeah, no, it's 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 really well handled the way, you know, again, that they did this. Because you see all the Clotunians come back or, you know, a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. They swamped the town. What I want to know, Dave, is if, is if they had an ATSD the whole time, why didn't they just obliterate the village like the first time and, you know, take everything? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're just looking for an easy score every now and then. You know, they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because uh, obviously, like they mentioned in this episode, you know, there's actually a harvest for, for the this crew. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess, you know, the Clotunians probably don't know how to harvest them. So, yeah, that's, that's probably what's going on. Yeah. Um, and then, so as the walkers drawn into the village and we see that it's not working, so Cara Dune actually uh, takes the Mandalorian's rifle and takes it upon herself and she j- dives into the pond, try to lure it even closer, closer. And eventually um, she's shooting into the cockpit and it does come close enough and fall in and we see Mandalorian throw a thermal detonator into the cockpit, it blows up. And that's basically they, the Clatoonians see that their walkers defeated and they go running back into the woods and they've won. Yeah, yeah, no, that, um, yeah, that was really cool to see. And, you know, I kind of felt like the episode was going to end right there, but it didn't end right there. It actually kept going, didn't it? Yeah. Um, we see a few weeks have gone by. The next uh, scene we see where the uh, Mandalorian is kind of standing around uh, talking to Cara Dune. Uh, she asks him some questions about uh, what happens if you take off your helmet, and he says you can't ever put it back on. She kind of says that's ridiculous. You could settle down and have a nice life here with your baby and your woman. And um, next, he, we see he's gonna decides that he wants to leave the the baby Yoda um, on the planet, and that he's gonna leave it, and he's gonna have a nice childhood. You know, you really feel for the guy because at this point, you know, he's, it, you know, it, it you get the sense that that idea appeals to him and he's actually like actually thinking about it. But then, um, you know, he, he, I guess he realizes he can, I guess, you know, maybe he can get the child to be safe there, but Mm -hmm. maybe he thinks that as long as he's around that, you know, he's maybe it kind of hurts the child's chances of, you know, growing up. Yeah. I think he says something to the point that, you know, there's no life for the child with him. I don't think he sees himself settling down, but he says, I've done my part. Um, the, the child will be happy here. Um, he, he walks over uh, to say goodbye. Um, we see Amara talking to him, trying to get him to stay. It looks like she's about to take his helmet off. Um, when we suddenly start to see a bounty hunter, uh, coming through the woods. Yeah. So this bounty hunter, was it like, um, I couldn't really figure out what species it was or 
you know what kind of bounty did you get any any uh, in your research any any information on didn't who this do was? any research into to what that was now but you know i'm not the greatest with what all the different species and aliens are <laughs> yeah yeah, it, it kind of looked like the little glimpse we got of it. It kind of looked like, uh, you know, Garandan, that, that same species, like, you know, Kubas or whatever mm-hmm. they're called, that same species mm-hmm. that we saw in uh, the first episode. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, not certain, though. No, um, and then we see he's looking through his uh, scope on his rifle. He sees the Mandalorian, and he starts to target um, the baby Yoda. And we hear a big blaster bolt firing, and that scares everyone away. And we see the, the bounty hunter drop, and Cara Dune saves the day and takes out the bounty hunter before any harm can be done. Yeah, you know, this moment kind of made me like jump because, mm-hmm. you know, when when you see that bounty hunter, you know, get Baby Yoda in his, in his scope and then you hear the gunshot, like we don't see immediately what happened. Um, so, you know, yeah, I wasn't completely fearful that they actually, you know, killed him off. But yeah, they do a good job. I mean, you you see that the story's got to go in a certain way, but you still they're like they're not going to kill Baby Yoda. But you know, you do you jump and you're like, oh, what did this happen? You're invested in the story. It's good. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they do a really good job. At, you know, just the the way it's handled. But you know, to everybody's delight, you know, Cara Dune took out the bounty hunter. Baby Yoda is safe. But unfortunately, they realize also that you know they know Baby Yoda's there. The bounty hunters are going to keep coming and. Mm-hmm. They just can't stay there. So uh, when all is said and done, uh, Mandalorian and Baby Yoda say their goodbyes. Cara Dune goes her own way. And uh, yeah, it's it's right back, presumably into space mm-hmm. uh, and onto the next planet. Yep, that's where we leave. Everyone parts ways. And uh, Cara Dune says, you know, till I see you next time. And that's the end of the episode. All right. So the next episode, The Gunslinger. Yeah, this is Chapter 5, The Gunslinger, and this one was directed a uh, second go-around here for Dave Filoni. Yeah, so it's really cool to see Dave Filoni do another episode because he did the very the inaugural episode, which arguably that I would think that that would probably have the most pressure out of any of the directors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To really get things Definitely right. Get the, getting off the ground. It was his live-action debut, and he did a good job, and they got him here for a second one, and this one's another really good one, too. Yeah, this is another really good one. This one is also, you know, we talked about how, um, you know, the previous episode, Sanctuary, was a little bit different. This one, too, is a little bit different. Um, but again, I think that's a really good thing, how they're mixing it up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're kind of getting a little bit more insight. Um, we never really learn, um, you know, why the Mandalorian is going to Tatooine. Um, it's obviously, you know, he's going to Tatooine because, you know, we as fans know Tatooine <laughs> and are excited yeah. to see it. But we never really... He never really says why he's going there. All we, our introduction to this episode is that uh, he's being pursued by this other, um, you know, pilot mm-hmm. or bounty hunter. Yeah, we see a, a space battle in the beginning, and uh, Mandalorian pulls some uh, cool moves to blast him out of the sky. I'm not sure if he was heading towards uh, Tatooine or not, but that's where he ended up. And I know I'm watching it there, and I right away when they showed it, I I almost jumped out of the couch, and I'm like, yes! And my wife's like, what? And I'm like, that's Tatooine, you know? (laughs) Yeah, so an interesting thing is, you know, we see, like, the same exact, like, angle uh, that we see at Mm -hmm. the very beginning of A New Hope, you know, where the the Rebel Blockade Runner's coming in, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the moons are in the same exact positions, um, which, you know... Uh, you know, seems unlikely, but you know, we'll, we'll take it. it. It it really cues us into, hey, this is Tatooine, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, he gets a little intercom transmission in his um 
in a ship and it says, oh, you know, you're cleared uh, here from Mosisley to land in, you know, whatever docking bay is like 30 something. Yeah. Docking bay 35. 35. So. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a cool little uh, nod. So we know he's going to be kind of in the vicinity, you know, where, you know, we saw mm-hmm. everything go down in the original film. Um, but yeah, as the ship flies in, it's also interesting because they reuse the like, it seems like they're the exact same shots of like the rocks and like the approach to Mos Eisley mm-hmm. where, you know, you see the spaceport from, you know, the, from the cliff or, um, Ben Kenobi and Lucar, um, mm-hmm. overlooking it. And what's interesting is like, even the shadows on the rocks are like identical. So you know that they just reuse those same shots. Yeah. It's cool. You know, and I guess like you're saying, they want us, the viewer to just be super familiar. This is a place we've been before and we're going to see it the same way we saw it, you know, 40 something years ago. Yeah. And I'm not sure how they did it. If it's like composite or something where they overlay some of the original shot, you know, it's different, but it is so close. It's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's really cool to see the way they did that. I mean, you know, just kind of, you know, it hearkening back to those, that original film, and, uh, you know, even if they reuse stuff and, you know, it's just just the fact that, you know, we're seeing these same, you know, these same places that we haven't seen in, you know, 40, you know, two years mm-hmm. um, essentially is 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 really cool. I really like the whole way that they went about it. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty awesome. And then uh, she ends up landing in, in the docking bay there. His ship is all battered up from the space fight we just got through. And we're introduced to a character uh, Pele Moto, played by Amy Sedaris of uh, it Strangers with Candy. She's probably most famous for. Yeah, she's yeah. worked with Filoni. She was in Elf, but she's she does a good job. Um, he lands in the way right away when she starts talking to him. I got vibes of uh, she's a like a, a bad car mechanic. You know, it's like where they're like, oh this is gonna cost you double. Oh this is gonna be an add on add on. And I I really like the way she portrayed that. Uh, again, I almost jumped off my couch seeing the the pit droids in there. I was like, yeah, so I'll call back to episode one. It was cool. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, you know, I like seeing, you know, when there's tie-ins to all of Star Wars. And we've talked about how there's several to the animation and, um, you know, to the original trilogy. There's, there haven't been a ton to the prequel trilogy uh, at this point. You know, there's been a few, you know, like the battle mm-hmm. dro- super battle droids and, um, you know, now the pit droids and... Uh, I think, you know, just, just having those little touches. I mean, this really makes sense because, you know, if, if there are going to be any droids working on, um, you know, in, in the docking bay there on, you know, Zizley, you assume it's going to be these pit mm-hmm. droids. So, you know, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, who knows? Maybe they were everywhere except for where Han and Chewie were, you know, because we really only saw that, that one uh, bay with them in New Hope. But yeah, I, I'll take it. I'll take the fan service. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was great. And, you know, there's a really cute moment, like, when um oh, what's her name uh, the mechanic uh pelimoto okay so when she sat she asks the pit droids like what do you guys think should we you know repair it like there's three droids and each one gives a different response like one shrugs mm-hmm. his shoulders the other one shakes his head yes the <laughs> other one shakes his head no so it's it's that's pretty great i saw i caught that on the mm-hmm. rewatch yeah yeah it's not little things like that it's cool yeah yeah really good stuff um, so in the next scene, um, we're seeing uh, Baby Yoda after the Mandalorian leaves to go get uh, more credits to pay for all the work he's going to need. We see Baby Yoda uh, coming down the the back of the ship, and she interrupts their game. Of, I'm sorry, he interrupts the game of Sabacc that they're playing, and uh, we see that uh, Pelly is going to take care of the Baby Yoda for more money. <laughs> yeah, th- th- this is cool. It's interesting too because you know. 
we've seen it a couple times now where Mandalorian kind of just leaves Yoda on the baby Yoda on the ship and you know he kind of mm-hmm. walks out in his own. It's like, well, why doesn't he just close the door? Yeah. I guess this whole episode is kind of every episode is just a, a little bit he learns, a little bit he learns, and I guess he's gonna learn to be a better better father, better caretaker, I guess, in this one because he's not doing such a good job when this episode starts out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the next scene that we see, uh, we see the Mandalorian walking down the streets of Mos Eisley. And of course, where does he end up? The famous cantina uh, where your t- your podcast takes his name from. And we're back and it's really cool walking into the uh, Mos Eisley cantina. Uh, wh- it's cool when he walks in, we actually see there are droids uh, running the show now. As in A New Hope, there were famously no droids allowed in. Yeah, yeah. This is a, this is a really interesting thing because... You know, like you said, you know, no droids, you know, you're not welcome here. And, you know, they'll have to stay outside. Um, so, it, yeah, it's you go in there and you see a couple of droids. So you have like a, you know, we, EV-99 is the droid that we see in uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh, this is the same droid that we see in there, you know, same model. He's this one's at the bar bartending. Um, mm-hmm. And then we also see like an R5 just kind of rolling around. Um, yeah. The cantina is also really, you know, like desolate. Like there's not a whole lot going in on in there. And. I don't know if it's the time of day or if it's, you know, just maybe falling on hard times. And that's why the droids took over. But, um, yeah, there's not a lot of action like there was in that original yeah. film. I don't know if it has something to do with being post-Empire, post-hut like hut rule. But the whole street looks more dead. Everything looks more dead on Tatooine. Maybe it's just not the place for scum and villainy anymore. Not that there's no Empire, no Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, a, that's a really good point. Because uh, we do hear that you know, from different characters, you know, oh, the empire is gone, you know, but it, you don't get the sense that things are great. Um, mm-hmm. you know, at least when you hear like, um, in the earlier episodes, you hear Mandalorian, you know, chatting and, you know, with other people and you kind of get the sense that, you know, yeah, the empire is gone, but the credits are still worth some money, but not a lot, yeah. but, but, you know, the empire, the, or the new Republic isn't really, you know, doing all that much. So, um, it's interesting. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that that's a really good point. It could totally be wh- why, um, you know, Tatooine seems, you know, a little bit more desolate than it, you know, has been in the previous films. Yeah, so um, when Mandalorian walks into the cantina, he's he mentions to the droid that he's looking for some bounty work. Droid kind of says, like, sorry, you're out of luck, you know, no, uh, no guild here anymore. Um, and we, out of the shadows, actually, we uh, meet a new character, uh, Toro Callahan, um, and he's kind of sitting there in the same spot where we see Han Solo and A New Hope. And he kind of offers up. He's like, yo, I've got a bounty puck here. Uh, see what I've got here. Yeah, what's interesting about that is if you look behind where Mandalorian is sitting, you see like a blast shot um, on the wall, like a score mark. Mm-hmm. So presumably, or, you know, I don't know if the, the shot went through Greedo, <laughs> but yeah. um I was thinking maybe that's kind of a result of that, but you don't see one behind where, yeah. um, you know, this other guy is sitting, but you do see something like some pipes or something on the walls. So maybe they were just trying to obscure it or leave it up in interpretation as to whether or not that mark was back there. I don't really know. I don't know. I don't know. We need some clarification as to who shot first. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just seems like they didn't want to touch that. So they put some decoration mm-hmm. or something like, you know, above yeah. the booth to kind of obscure that part of the wall. Um, but yeah, it's 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 awesome to be back in the cantina, you know, somewhere we haven't been since that original film. It looks, you know, really well recreated. 
mm-hmm. like you said, that's, you know, that, that scene, you know, my favorite scene in all of Star Wars, you know, and that's exactly where my channel got its name from. So, and the podcast got its name from. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I totally, I totally, totally dug that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Toro, uh, re- uh reveals that, that he wants to go after, um, Fennec, uh, Fennec Shand, um, as the bounty and the Mandalorian kind of brushes him off, he goes, you obviously haven't been with Guild for very long because if you go after her, she's an elite mercenary and you're going to die, basically. Um, then Toro offers up, uh, hey, I'll pay you the entire bounty. I just need this to get into the Guild. You come with me and I'll, you'll have all the money. Mandalorian agrees, tells him to meet him back at the hangar with two speeders and we make our way back to the hangar. Yeah, so, you know, we kind of, it's a little bit weird because, you know, we don't really know, like, I kind of felt like Toro maybe had different motivations that he just wasn't revealing at that point. Um, but, you know, it was very entirely possible he just wanted to get into the guild, so he's taking advantage of Mandalorian to do that. But, um, I don't know, I just kind of feel like with this aspect of Star Wars, you know, you're, you're kind of de- dealing with shady characters, and you don't really always yeah. know what their motivations are. He kind of struck me as like a wannabe Han Solo. Uh, he, he looks like a, almost like a rich kid or something. He, his, he's dressed nicer than you see other bounty hunters and stuff. It seems like he always has credits on him to, to get whatever he wants, gets mm. the speeders, gets the binox, and he just kind of seems like a slimy s- version of Han Solo or something, you know, not with a golden heart or anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, once again, Mandalorian agrees to, <laughs> to help him out. Um, yeah, which I think is kind of similar to the last episode because, you know, you kind of see sort of the same thing. It's like, mm-hmm. it, it almost feels like an RPG or something like he's like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll help you out, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's what he does. And uh, is this where he lets him know that he needs to get, you know, a couple speeders? Yep, he lets him know he needs a couple speeders uh, right before he leaves the cantina and tells him in a half hour to meet him back at the hangar. At this point, we see uh, Mandalorian leaves Baby Yoda with the uh, the attendant from uh, the hangar, mm-hmm. and we also see that um, you know Toro gets a glimpse, uh, a little glimpse of the baby, and he's just kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. he's just, his reaction is kind of like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, then they hop on the the speeders and they make their way across the dunes, and it it's a really cool shot. It looks so much better than we've ever seen speeder riding in star wars um it's a lot better than what we see in return of the jedi it's better than what we see in attack of the clones it's in bright daylight it looks really awesome it does it it looks really convincing and realistic like you know just how Mm -hmm. far you know the the ability to to create that you know has come and uh, i remember while watching that telling my husband like man i wish those were real because i would love to do that I know it's like a childhood dream for me. Well, you know, seeing the original trilogy when I was a kid, and that was the one thing I just wanted to do so bad was just ride a speeder through the forest. And every time I see it, it's like a hover motorcycle. It just looks so cool. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, we got to get that hovering technology. Yeah, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah, so you know they're on their way. Uh, they're in pursuit, um, and uh, you know they're kind of looking out with the binoculars. Uh, and then we, we get a, a moment that's quite reminiscent of what happens in A New Hope, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they stop. They um, see some Tusken Raiders in the, in the distance. And uh, Toro kind of like brushes it off like, ah, they better not mess with us. And Mandalorian says, well, why don't you tell them that yourself? And camera pans to the left and we see a couple Tusken Raiders are just kind of standing there watching them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, that's a really interesting thing because... 
When you think of these Tusken Raiders, you, you, you typically think of them pouncing like instantly, but these two weren't doing that. They were just kind of watching and, um, mm-hmm. you know, we've never seen like communication with the Tusken Raiders. Um, mm-hmm. It's always, you know, like a fight or, you know, like Anakin slaughtering them or, um, you know, them attacking Luke and, you know, just, just what we know from the brief moments, like, An- like Ben Kenobi saying, oh, you know, they're easily frightened. They'll come back in greater numbers. Um but we actually see them being communicated with through gesturing and hand signals. And I thought that was a pretty mm-hmm. fascinating uh, way to approach, like, actually communicating with Tusken Raiders. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Sanctuary in this episode, Gunslinger, they kind of feel like maybe side stories or some people have called them a filler, which I don't really agree with. But in this part here, we're seeing that the Mandalorian is actually learning. Um, you know, when he first interacted with the, the Jawas, um, he wanted to beat him up, you know, chase him down, uh, pull him off their sand crawler. But here we see him calm and collected and he starts to uh, communicate with them and talk with them just like Quill taught him to speak with the Jawa and he enacts a trade, trades the Binox for safe passage through the dunes. Yeah, so that was, that was pretty interesting dynamic because, you know, like I said, you've we've never really seen like interaction with them like on mm-hmm. a civil level. So seeing that they can actually be bartered with um, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Definitely adds a new dynamic to the character that is so old, as old as Star Wars, you know? Yeah, it does. It, it, it totally does. Um, so, yeah. So then they continue on, um, you know, on their on their pursuit. And um, finally, they come upon... Uh, they come across a dewback in the uh, sand, and it's pulling what looks to, appears to be a, a dead person being drugged by them. And uh, it kind of looks like maybe it's a trap set um, by the uh, sniper there. They, they decided to take up a close look. And, you know, I think Mando's like, oh, be careful because, you know, we don't know what's, what this is. Um, but then, yeah, that's when the blaster bolts come uh, firing mm-hmm. at them, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Fennec is actually poised on the high ground, like the Mandalorian says later on. And she's <laughs> uh, trying to snipe him, but he's got the Beskar armor on and it protects him. And then there's a little funny exchange there. Uh, where he says to Toro, you know, it's, I'm okay. The It was far enough away that the Beskar held. And he goes, oh, I'm not wearing any Beskar. And he's like, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. Um, but also, I, I love that line of, oh, she has the high ground. Because, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, you think yeah. back to Revenge of the Sith. So yep. uh, I do wonder if that was, it probably was deliberate, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, the Mandalorian gets it, Anakin. You need to understand, Anakin. Don't if they have the high ground. <laughs> so the Mandalorian basically says, you know, because she has the the night um, the high ground, we'll have to wait till nightfall so that we can uh, mount our attack. He comes up with this uh, plan to using the cover of night. They're going to get on the speeder bikes and ride as fast as they can towards Fennec, and he has these uh, flash charges to disrupt her sniper scope. Yeah, this is something that was kind of different, too, because we haven't seen this before. Um, And I started thinking about it like, you know, we haven't, you know, why haven't we seen this before? And when you think about it, we really haven't gotten a whole lot of, like in the films at least, like at nighttime sort of like battles, Mm -hmm. you know? Like usually when we see fights and, and, um, you know, like, like, you know, stuff during Clone War, like, you know, the Clone Wars era in the films Mm -hmm. anyway, um, stuff is usually going on like, you know, during the daytime. So um, what it kind of made me wonder if this whole blasting thing to blind the scope is also possible during the day or if it's something like a night type thing. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's just, 
uh, this is why I'm loving this uh, TV series format because we have time now to explore these little things that we've yeah. been talking about in this whole episode. You know, we're not constrained into the the two hours. Which if we're if this was a movie, it would be over by now. But you know, this is great that we're getting all these little details and expanding on things and talking about it. You know. Yeah, no, that's that's an excellent point. Um, uh, and they're also elaborating on things that you know we mm-hmm. haven't really. You know, things that we you just see in the background or in passing in the, in the films, you know, they're expanding on them a little bit more. And I think that's one of the great things. And th- that's one of the things that makes me really excited for the Obi-Wan spinoff as well. Oh, yeah. 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 Like I've always been, I guess I prefer uh, following the, the Jedi around to, to maybe just a, a regular person or whatever. But I'm, I'm super excited to dive deep into Obi-Wan and the Jedi and stuff. Yeah, I mean, especially if it's just kind of like what Mandalorian's doing, and you noted it last time, everything's from his point of view, everything is like what Mm -hmm. he's experiencing, like, for Mm -hmm. the most part, Um, if they do that as well with um, Obi-Wan, I think it's gonna be pretty great. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna be able to contain my excitement once that isn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Um, So yeah, so at this point, uh, where do we live off? They were blinding, they were able to use that, those little explosives. Yeah, they're... They're riding in, and um, I guess uh, she's able to look through the scope just long enough to shoot Mandalorian off of the uh, speeder bike, and it looks like he's about to be um, shot in underneath the helmet, and uh, Toro actually comes up from behind and saves the Mandalorian. Uh, Fennec and Toro start fighting. She's able to disarm Toro, uh, toss his blaster behind him, and as time has gone on, now we see the Mandalorian is there to save Toro, and they're able to take uh, Fennec into custody. Yeah, and you see where Mandalorian was totally right about Toro not having a chance because she disarms mm-hmm. him like right away. Yeah, um, and um, yeah, I mean, this is like you know, it, you know, it's the kind of thing where you know you have somebody that's a novice and. Um, you know, he kind of like, oh, I did it. But then he's it's like, no, you didn't. Yeah, definitely. Um, that just with the character, he's just totally inexperienced, way cocky. And a lot of times he's getting put in his place by everyone. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, trying to remember what happens next. Um, so next they have to deal with the problem of the broke up speeder. Mm. Um, and uh, Mandalorian hatches the plan. They're like, hey, let's go back and get that do back. And he tries to send Toro and Toro's like, no way, I'm not leaving you here with my ride and my bounty. Mandalorian is going to be the one to go get the do back. So Toro and Fennec are left there to talk to each other in the what presumes to be the few hours it takes Mandalorian to walk over to the do back. And as we see, that doesn't turn out so well. Okay, yeah, so this is where she's trying to make, like, the, you know, barter with Toro, right? Mm-hmm. Like, say, hey, you know, if you let me go, you know. Yeah, she um, starts talking with Toro and basically is like, hey, you know, let me go. Um, I can still make it to uh, my rendezvous point. I can pay you double the bounty that you would get for taking me in. He's basically like, I'm not about the money. Um, and she kind of sees that and she starts manipulating him, like, maybe you want to be legendary and explains to him uh, where she heard th- what happened to the Mandalorian, what he did on... Navarro and uh, you can see the gear starting to turn in Toro's head and and he's like yeah I'm that's right I'm gonna go after the Mandalorian she thinks Toro is going to free her and they're gonna go get the Mandalorian together and he shoots and kills Fennec yeah yeah I know this uh I didn't see the I didn't see things going that way um uh and you know it's weird because you know if 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 Toro didn't have a chance against her. I mean, realistically, how did he think he was going to have a chance against Mandalorian? You know, yeah. it's, but you know, it's like you said, you know, he's cocky and you know, all this mm-hmm. is, 
you know, he's a novice. All this is coming into play. You know, he thinks he's going to be able to get the upper hand maybe because he thinks that they're working together. But, um, you know, in the end, uh, he's just a cocky kid and things don't really go too well for him. Yeah. And then um, next we see, um, as the sun rises, the Dewback and Mandalorian come back and he finds Fennec there killed and he kind of figures out what's going on and he's got to ride the Dewback all the way back uh, to the hangar to get back to his ship and uh, possibly find Toro and that takes all day. Again, it's nightfall by the time he gets back to Mos Eisley. You know, we're back where everything began. Mandalorian walks in. It's very dark. It's hard to see what's going on. And, and we see uh, Toro has um, Pally and Baby Yoda both at Blaster Point on the back end of the Razor Crest. Yeah, so he sees that it's repaired. Um, you know, looks good as new. And, you know, mm-hmm. as far as he knows, you know, this is kind of going to be, you know, he, he's in the clear. Like nothing, you know, is going to happen. But mm-hmm. uh, that's when Toro kind of just reveals himself, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Uh, he comes down, basically says, I'm going to become legendary. I'm going to take you back to Navarro. I'm going to turn you in and I'm going to be uh, with glory. I'm going to be made a full fledged member of the Bounty Hunters Guild. The audience, us, you know, we know full well from what we've seen of, you know, Mandalorian previously and you mm-hmm. know his, all his armor and everything that uh, this probably isn't going to go very well for Toro. Now, um, Toro uh, gets the Mandalorian to drop his blaster, and he tells um, Peli to cuff him. And we, as the audience, are kind of uh, given a little peek behind his helmet, and we see the Mandalorian is holding uh, one of the uh, flash charges. He ignites it, it disorients Toro for a bit, and the Mandalorian is able to get to the side and shoot down Toro. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting because... You know, Toro also has Baby Yoda in his arm at that point, doesn't he? So we don't really know, like, you know, yeah, did he, he drop falls him over or... holding Baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then when, when the camera comes back and you know, you know, pans to that direction, we find that oh, he's just over there hiding in the corner. Mm-hmm. Pretty scary moment. Uh, you expect him to maybe still be holding the the baby, and he's not there. They panic. They look around, but everything's okay. Baby Yoda's safe and sound in their arms again. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think it's 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 fair to say that Toro's probably dead at this point. I would say so. Um, yeah, they take the credits off of him. Uh, he pays for the repairs with Toro's credits. And then there's a little funny moment where she uh, tells the pit droids to um, get rid of him. She goes, I don't care where. Take him to Beggar's Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, another <laughs> great moment that, you know, you're only going to pick up on if, you know, you're, you know, hardcore Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, that was really great. And um, yeah, I really liked, um, you know, Pelly, right? Um, yeah, I, I thought mm-hmm. I thought she was a great character and, you know, definitely definitely different from what we've seen in these films. But, you know, she was very fitting. And, uh, you know, whatever mm-hmm. actor they, they found for that role, I think was was perfect. Like she fit in really well. Yeah, I'm, again, I'm being fooled by these costumes and this makeup. I had no idea that it was Amy Sedaris until after the episode. I just was like, you know, I'm like, this is good. Yeah, I like what she's doing, but who is that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do, they do a really good job with that. Um, mm-hmm. So there's also kind of like, I don't know, if we, it's not really a post credit scene, but we do see some, like yeah, another moment. Feel? Yeah, mm-hmm. we do see a moment like after, you know, all this transpires. So what do you think, what is your interpretation of that? What are we led to believe from this last moment? Well, we see uh, Fennec's uh, presumably dead body still lying there where everyone left it, and we hear uh, some jangling, and we see Boots in a cape come up to her, start to kneel, and when cut to black, we have no idea who this character is. 
my um i'm right on the new hope on the brain when i'm watching this and my first thought was could that be boba fett i'm did the same thing again i'm jumping out of my uh, couch going is that boba fett (laughs) (laughs) oh man i didn't even consider that like i thought it might be mandalorian because like you said you know he's got the spurs so you hear like the you know Mm -hmm. his boots you know when he walks in the cape but I mean, it would be kind of weird if it it doesn't really make like... I don't think it is now. That yeah. was just my in-the-moment thought. Yeah. Pl- plus, yeah, if you've read the Aftermath books, um, you know, someone else has Boba Fett's armor by this point on Tatooine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. Um, only thing I could think of is maybe this is a, a foreshadowing to another coming character that we haven't seen yet, uh, Moff Gideon by uh, Giancarlo Espinoto from um, uh, Breaking Bad fame. Uh, maybe yeah. that character is somehow I don't know. Other than that, I don't really have any other guesses. That's kind of the only thing I thought. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what happens next. So you know, obviously we get another episode of Mandalorian um, this Friday, and mm-hmm. um, you know maybe they'll tie that up, or maybe you know it'll just go in a different direction for this episode. So, uh, but you know whatever they choose to do, I know that you know we're at this point, you know we're just chopping at the bit for the next episode to see yeah. what, you know what's going to happen, what's happening next. It's just like. You know, I'm on the edge of my seat with this show. It's like everything about mm-hmm. it to me is just really exciting. Yeah, I'm hoping these final three episodes are more of a arc like the first three episodes were. Uh, I like these last two episodes, but they do, like people have said, they're filler, but they're not. They're kind of side missions that grow the, the characters. But I'm, I'm ready to get back to the overarching story of like what's going to happen um, with this child, the baby and the Mandalorian and yeah, I would venture a guess that, you know, maybe we're going to kind of go that way with the next episode because, yeah, these last mm-hmm. couple have, you know, not been filler, but just they, they've taken us in different directions. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would kind of like to also know, you know, what's, you know, what's going on with the, the Imperial Remnant and, you know, what happened, you know, after, you know, everything that happened on um, Navarro, like... Like, you know, where, where are those Imperials now? What are they? Are they trying to, mm-hmm. you know, get Baby Yoda back? Are they trying to, you know, are they still, is the goal still to have him, like, you know, maybe killed? Which, you know, it seems that's that's the case from, you know, the, the Sanctuary. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. And I hope that, you know, we definitely get more of a glimpse. Because there's a lot of characters and, you know, actors that we know are in this show mm-hmm. that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. Um, my, like, ultimate fan theory, what I hope that we would go is I'm hoping... There's some sort of um, Mandalorian connection to the Force. Um, not that the Mandalorians use the Force or anything, but we have that history with like the the Black Saber, the the first Mandalorian Jedi. Uh, we have Sabine Wren, who obviously knew some Jedi in the Galactic Civil War. And I'm hoping maybe is there going to be maybe a meetup that would just be so cool if he would somehow get this baby to Sabine and maybe Ahsoka or something. We get to see Ahsoka in live action. That, that's just like, oh, wow. I don't think that'll happen, but it's going to be an awesome <laughs> pipe dream. <laughs> yeah, no, total, that totally be an awesome pipe dream. Um, yeah. Or even like, you know, seeing like, like, like a greater time, like you're talking about like things like that we've seen in Clone Wars. Like what if we actually saw the dark saber um, mm-hmm. and, you know, oh, yeah. see what that looks like on live in live action. That'd be pretty awesome. Mm hmm. Definitely. We've got Filoni here and, you know, he's the one that's in charge of all those stories and I'm, I'm hoping it'll happen. I got my fingers crossed here in Dave. We trust. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be great. I'm sure whatever they have um, cooking is going to be interesting. But in any case, you know, we have a couple episodes left. Another after Friday, we have another next week. And then the final one's going to be, uh, I think it's the week after, correct? After the, the Rise of Skywalker mm-hmm. comes out. Yep. Yeah. 
All right. So in in the last episode that we talked, uh, you know, Mandalorian on, we discussed, um, you know, a few things we'd like to see made into toy form because, you know, obviously we love toys here. And um, yeah, so thinking about these last three episodes, is there anything that stands out to you, Dave, that you're thinking this needs to be a toy? Um, let's see. Well, we're getting the ATST right in Vintage Collection. Yes, that, that's am I correct with that? that. Yes, that's out already. Um, yeah, that's the that's the first thing. But you know, obviously, we're getting it. Um, just maybe so expanding some of these like background characters, like um, the Bounty Hunters Guild or something. Yeah, um, like that Zabrak Bounty Hunter. Yeah, I, I saw that and I freeze framed and I'm watching that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that would look so cool. Um, you know, which I don't know if some people are saying maybe that's the sad part about the five POA going away. We're not getting um, mm -hmm. background characters, but, you know, they can do it in, in the vintage collection. Yeah, they could. Um, I'd like to see some of the, the vehicles, um, like that little cart that the Mandalorian was on being pulled by one of the <laughs> astromech droids. Is it, you know, it's cool that added to like the the Western feel. It's like the horse pool in the uh, Conestoga wagon or something. Yeah, true. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, what we said last time, uh, the the Razor Crest, that would be cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's plenty of aliens, you know, um, a few familiar ones, but also, you know, ones that we haven't seen before. And they're really good designs. Like in the cantina, there was like that frog looking creature. And then, mm -hmm. you know, it was like that. I don't know. Was it was like a termite or something? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like those, any of the Mandalorians would be cool to have, uh, you know, any of these background aliens. Um, yeah, I think that'd all be cool. And, uh, you know, one thing that I think makes like the, uh, the Clatoonians kind of toyetic as well is that, um, it, it seemed like they were mostly dressed like the same, right? Like they were mostly mm -hmm. wearing like the same kind of armor and stuff. That's definitely something that you could, uh, troop build, army build with them and right. maybe have some paint variants on them or something. Um, you know, like a, a village play set or something where, where they're fishing for the, the krill and stuff. That would be cool. Anything at all to just help to recreate some of these scenes because it, it every little half hour episode is just like a mini movie and you want to make a shelf uh, diorama or something with these figures would be so cool. Yeah. I want an accessory of the, uh, the uh, quote unquote ice cream maker with <laughs> the credits oh, yeah. in it and everything. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. would be cool. I know maybe, we maybe have even one. Like a, uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. We, we got one something with life size. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, life size would be awesome, but, uh, but like a functioning, <laughs> we got one with a railroad hood figure from mm -hmm. a decade ago. But, you know, if we were able to get like a functioning one, maybe even like in six inch and, you know, it comes apart mm -hmm. and I would love that. Yeah. Uh, anything at all. Just these little, these details are really, really well thought out and it's so much fun. Yeah, it's all great stuff. And, um, you know, I'm loving the Mandalorian. I know you are too. And uh, I'm really excited to see where, you know, the series is going, where the season is going. And, um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of cool stuff in there, uh, you know, as these final three episodes of the season come. And, yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm all into it right now. Like, bring it on. Mm -hmm. Bring us more more Baby Yoda, you know, as much as they want yeah. to smother us with. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally down for more Baby Yoda. Oh, definitely. I mean, I wish they would have had more toys on the shelf for the holiday season or actually doing a little uh, family Pollyanna and one of the requests I got from uh, uh, one of my cousin's kids that had once the Mandalorian in the black series and I'm just like I can't find that right now it's not on the shelf <laughs> so yeah yeah I mean that you know those figures are selling pretty quickly like you know mm -hmm. anything based on Mandalorian seems to go pretty quick even that off-world Jawa doesn't seem to hang around all that long like 
You know, like like when, mm-hmm. when this line or, you know, that wave like launched, like you would see them every now and then. But like now yeah. I'm not even seeing them as much. Yeah. The, b- before the, the show started streaming, yeah, you were seeing even the Cara Dune was kind of just hanging out. And now now they're gone. Uh, you know, the off-world Jawas, everything that has something to do with the show is can't keep it on the shelf. So Hasbro, we need more, please. We need more like yesterday. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, give us anything Mandalorian. You know, we'll buy it. You know, we want those figures. <laughs> we want those toys. I mean, I think when you love the, you know, the content, you know, you're going to want more from as much from it as you can get. And, you know, it's no different with, you know, toys. You know, we want, you know, anything that they want to give us. It's, it has a Mandalorian brand on it. I'm mm-hmm. all for it. Let's let's do it. Definitely. I'll give you my money, Hasbro. <laughs> you, you're not going to lose out on this deal. <laughs> all right. So, you know, Dave, it's been a pleasure having you on the show once again. Thanks for talking uh, Mandalorian episodes three, four, and five. Next time I have you on the show, we'll be talking about episodes seven, eight, nine. All right. I can't wait. I, I wish it was here already, but you know, it's what's part of the fun of this series waiting, I guess. Yeah, it is. It totally is. Um, so where can our listeners go to find you on social media? I'm on social media on Instagram and Twitter under Jurassic Dave 93. Um, also have a YouTube channel, but I hardly ever upload any videos to it or Jurassic Dave 93, but hit me up on Twitter or Instagram if you want to talk anything Star Wars related or any type of pop culture things that we might be interested in. Dave, it's been a blast having you on. As always, you're very well spoken. Uh, you know, you bring up a lot of good points and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun chatting with you. So thanks again for coming on. Thank you. If you aren't already, subscribe to The Place It All Started, the Victoria's Cantina YouTube channel where I review new toys and showcase retro toys from the past. You can also follow us for news and updates on Facebook by looking up Victoria's Cantina, toy photography on Instagram at Victoria's Cantina, and a constant drip of toy-related and other random and nonsensical tweets on Twitter at Vic's Cantina. If you're so inclined, we are on Patreon. Gain greater access to Victoria's Cantina by becoming a Patreon Cantina patron. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll help to keep the show going and also get exclusive content such as access to a private Twitter feed, early access to toy reviews, and behind-the-scenes featurettes. And if you can't, but you still want to help us out, One of the easiest and most helpful things you can do is leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute, so hit that five-star rating and leave a note stating why you enjoy the show. It'll make us more visible on iTunes and help others to find our show. As always, I'm Victoria, and no matter where you're listening out in the galaxy, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to the Cantina Chatter Podcast.